Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning, and I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. Um, I, uh, I make you one promise this morning. Um, I will at least let us out by the time the Cowboy game starts. So, uh, yeah, somebody caught on. They don't play it on Thursday, so we'll be all right. Um, <laughs> but uh, over this uh, Thanksgiving break, it's been just good just to remember and, and, uh, and uh, think about all the things that, that God has done for us and all the things we have to be thankful for. And I came across this article from the Chicago Tribune that was posted several years back on a Thanksgiving day, uh, which was to show us how rich and blessed we really are. And uh, the title of it was, Sure, Kings Had Castles, But Did They Have High-Speed Internet? And, uh, and so this was the kind of the, the gist of the article. It goes on to say, we live better than kings. Most of us are far, far healthier, more comfortable, and have more opportunities and diversions available to us than 99% of all the monarchs, emperors, maharajas, and other potentates that, who ever lived. We live longer, eat better, travel farther than the richest and most blessed people in virtually every other generation in every land in history. We tend to forget this, and so just as we forget to savor the blessings of family, friendship, freedom, and faith, so as a reminder, I offer my amended list of stuff to be thankful for today. Automobiles, electricity, flushing toilets, electronic ignition gas stoves, refrigerators, microwave ovens, water heaters, central heating systems controlled by programmable thermostats, alarm clocks that begin beeping softly then get gradually louder, Energy-saving LED bulbs that don't burn out for years, cruise control, digital photography, answering machines, Velcro, Gore-Tex, no iron dress shirts and no stained khakis, shoes that are broken in when you buy them, clothes dryers that shut off using moisture sensors, the availability of good coffee, amen, and warm fast food sub sandwiches, post-it notes, soap pumps, carbon monoxide detectors, cordless drills, no-lick stamps, Bifocals without lines in the snazzy term progressive lenses to describe them. Affordable jet travel and cheap long distance calling. Calculators so inexpensive you can throw them away rather than replace the batteries. Fax machines, overnight mail, PDAs, PDS, PVRs, DVDs, CDs, MRIs, ATMs, DSL, GPS, Wi-Fi, MP3, USB3, and most astonishing of all, really clean H2O at the turn of a tap. We have cell phones, blogs, email, Google, double-pane windows, titanium golf clubs, coaster frisbees, surgical lasers, anesthesia, penicillin, string of holiday lights that don't go dark when one of the bulbs burns out, (laughs) rechargeable batteries, electronic guitar tuners, all the guitar guys said amen, laminators, label makers, big box bookstores, modern playground equipment, run-flat tires, air conditioning, keyless entry, pay at the pump, comb binding, Bluetooth headphones, NyQuil, taquitos, big screen TVs, direct deposit, automatic bill pay, audiobooks, public libraries, airbags, super slow-mo, instant replay, pausing live TV, mulching mowers, and especially and finally, suitcases on wheels, amen. But he said this, amen, we can give a copy of that. It's good stuff. He says, when you give the totality of all your circumstances, it's annual second thought Thursday, and think of the royals in the hard scrabble antiquity raging with jelly and and reflect. At worst, we live in miraculous times. All right, amen, can we we say that? Amen. 
In America today, we have so much to be thankful for, and arguably any other nation in the world. Uh, and I'm sure uh, many of us, we throw out more food and more possessions in one year than some people possess in a lifetime. But yet, amidst all the blessings, all the bounty that we have, many times you'll, you will find all around us grumbly hateful people rather than humbly grateful people. And many times we grumble and we, we're not thankful. We don't have the gratitude that we ought to in our lives. Ungratefulness was something that, that the Bible taught all throughout of things that we should move away from, that we shouldn't have in our lives. First Timothy even talks about it as a sign of people turning their backs on God. He says this in First Timothy 3. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. This was a sign of the ungodly, those who were ungrateful for what they had. In, first, in Romans uh, 1.18, it was talked about the wrath of the ungodly. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't thank him for all that they did. They recognized him as God, but they didn't thank him. They didn't give their lives to him. They were ungrateful for all that God had done. This is what is characterized as the ungodly. Many of us as parents, we, we understand this, this characteristic in, in our own children that, that if, we've, if you've loved and labored a lot over your children, we, we want them to understand how thankful they are. And we, we say a lot of these things like, remember to give thanks to your mother for making dinner or say thanks to your grandparents for, uh, for that wonderful birthday gift they gave you or have you finished your, your graduation cards yet um, and, and things like this. We want our children this is something we encourage in them. We want them to be thankful. We want them to feel gratitude for the things that have been done for them, things that have been given to them. Why do we do this as parents? It's not just merely for our children to perform some kind of social courtesy. It's, it's more that we want our, our children to feel genuine gratitude and to be able to express their thanks uh, for the things that they've received. We don't want our kids to be spoiled, rotten brats who just expect and just you know, want things, and, and just when they get things, that's like, well, finally, you gave me what I expected to get. I mean, that we don't want spoiled rotten kids. We want them to be grateful for all that they have and all that they want. And this is what Jesus wants for us as well. And so God, thankfully, says in Luke six thirty five that he is kind to the ungrateful. So there's hope for us. And so we've got to make sure this morning that we look into our own lives and say, am I really, truly, genuinely grateful for all that God has for us. We're in this series of what did Jesus say? And Jesus wants us, encourages us to be thankful for all that we have. He didn't necessarily say this, so I kind of made an addendum to this. It's not what did Jesus say, it's what did Jesus imply? Because he doesn't actually say be thankful in those words, but he does imply that this is what he wants from us. So if you will turn in your Bible to uh, Luke 17, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus cleansing the ten lepers this morning. <coughs> Luke 17 Verses 11 through 19. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. It says this, And on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between uh, Samaria and Galilee, the he being Jesus. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he had saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, 
giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word and for your example here through the ten lepers. May we hear what you want us to hear. God, let us have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that receive the message you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dive into this a little bit and look at this story and kind of see what we can see here. First of all, the setting here um, on, in verse 11, he was on his way to Jerusalem. This was Jesus, it's towards the end of his, his, uh, his time on earth, his three years of ministry were coming to a close. And so he was making his way back to Jerusalem. And on his way through Jerusalem, he passed through the border of Samaria and Galilee. Now this is important and significant to remember because... Um, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. They didn't uh, get along with each other. Samaritans were, um, were kind of what they were called half-breeds. They were half-Jews, half-Gentiles. And during the, uh, during the uh, Assyrian um, captivity in, in 721 B.C., um, many of these Samaritans were taken into captivity, and many of them marry, intermarried with the Assyrians and the Gentiles. And so they were just this group of people that were just outcasts. They, they, they were, were half Gentiles and half Jews. And they even be, became, they, they had their own version of the first five books of the, 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 New Test, or the Old Testament, the, uh, the Torah. They, they made up their own scriptures and they had their own beliefs. And even as we know in, in uh, John 4, when, when Jesus was having his discussion with the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, there was even this discussion, this argument of where do they worship? You know, Samaritans had one view and the Jews had another. So there's this, this whole different idealism of, of Judaism and, and, and belief in God through, between the Jews and and the Samaritans, they just didn't like each other. They didn't care for each other. And so, but then we always have Jesus coming along. And, and we see um, stories like the Good Samaritan and the, the woman at the well. And, and Jesus walking the border here between Samaria and Galilee. He was always bridging the gaps between the two people and the dividing lines. And so we have this in mind as we come into verse 12. And he says, and he, as he entered a village... We don't know what village it was, but he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Now, leprosy was a dreadful disease. Uh, many times we think of leprosy as some kind of disease that makes our limbs fall off or we just kind of are dismembered and disfigured. But really what it was, it was a disease that attacked the nervous system. So you just began to stop feeling. And so deaf people can't hear, blind people can't see, lepers can't feel. And so many times uh, this, this disease would attack them so much that they wouldn't even realize when, when they had burned themselves or when they even cut off a finger or, or dismember themselves in some way. And so they just had these boils and these disfigurements. And, and it was a, a very scary disease at the time. And so um, uh, the, the Jews had a law. Um, we see in, in, in Leviticus later on that, that in Leviticus 13, Moses, he pronounced that the leprous person who has this disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. <clears throat> and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean and he shall live alone and his dwelling place shall be outside the camp. So we know the lepers, they were cast out. They weren't allowed to live around anyone else. They were, they were afraid that, that this was a, a very contagious disease that everyone else would get. So they caused them to live outside the city or the village and lived alone. And, and if anybody came close, they had to keep at a distance so, so as there not be any <clears throat> contagiousness uh, to be caught. 
And so they would just cry out, hey, unclean, unclean, don't, don't get close to me. And so this is why he stood at a distance and he, he kept himself <clears throat> away from them. They were expected to live out of, out, outside of the city. Of the city. And leprosy is one of the premier pictures in, of sin in the New Testament about what sin does to us and, and what sin does to the body because sin is, is a lot like um, leprosy in that uh, it causes us to lose spiritual feeling. It, it deadens us on the inside. It kills our spiritual uh, awareness of what things are going on. Sin can cause our hearts to become hard and our conscience to become seared so that we perform and witness the most evil and depraved acts of man and feel nothing but a detached disinterest. See, sin is like leprosy of the heart, and it just kills us from the inside. And so sin separates us from God. Just like leprosy, we had to stand outside the camp. Just like sin, when we're, when we're in our sin, we have to stand apart from God. We have to keep our distance from We can't be in the presence of God because of sin. Sin separates us from God, and we have to live alone, uh, apart from Christ, saying, unclean, unclean. And we get a hold of that, when we get a hold of how holy God is and how much of a sinner we are, we can only be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. When we see how holy God is, and we see how unclean and how unworthy we are, we just say to God, unclean, unclean, and we live like the leper. But that's not where the story ends he, they, the lepers, as they were crying out, verse 13, it says, And they lifted their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Two words that stick out in this plea is that word master. That word master is literally translated the same as, as Peter used it in Luke 5.5. 5, that means chief commander or, or commander, the one who is in command. They, they recognized and realized that, that Jesus was in authority, that he had mastery over even disease and death. And they maybe had heard the stories of Jesus, maybe had seen and heard of some of the things that he had done. And so they cried out, Jesus, master. They realized and recognized that he was Lord. He was in command. It was them saying, you're master. I'm servant. I come underneath you. You are the one in command. You are the one in control. I come before you as master. If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. And as we come to Jesus, we've got to understand he's master. He's not genie in a bottle. He's not just somebody to get the things that I want. No, he's, he's Lord. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so we've got to come to him as, as these lepers did and say, Master. And then what did they say? They said, have mercy on us. Notice they didn't, they didn't say heal us. They didn't say cure us. They didn't say help us to get back into the city or get our families back. They said, have mercy on us. What is mercy? Mercy and grace are kind of um, two sides of a coin. Mercy is, is, that, is what when we are not given what we do deserve. And grace is when we are given, given something that we don't deserve. But mercy is this picture of when we are not given something that we do deserve. So they were recognizing, they realized, man, maybe we had sinned, maybe there's some things that they had done in their life. They, they knew they were wretched and they potentially even deserved to have this disease, but they said, Lord, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. They cried out for mercy. <clears throat> when they had heard the healing power of Jesus, they called out for mercy. Isn't this how we are to call out to God when we are aware of how sinful we are? See, we, apart from Jesus, are without hope, without a rescue, without an answer for our sin problem. Every one of us are lost like these lepers. 
And our only hope is the mercy of God that he pours out on us. And so spiritually, we are rotting, decaying, putrefying corpses. And if we know it, all we can do is cry out to God for mercy. Even in Luke uh, 18, we see uh, just in the next chapter, he, there's a story of a tax collector. And the, the Jews, if they despise lepers, they, they really despise tax collectors because they saw them as, as, as thieves, that they were working for the Roman Empire and taxing their own people and taking money from their own people. But Luke 18, 13 says this, The tax stood, collector stood at a distance and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm, I'm convinced that this is an intentional parallel for, for Luke as he wrote this of, of having the, the leper in, in one chapter and the tax collector in another that we see that even both sides of the story saw themselves as unworthy and needing of God's mercy. As sinners, all our good works are nothing but filthy rags. So all we can do is cry out for God, for mercy. Have you cried out for God, for mercy? to forgive you of your sins, to call upon his, his grace and his mercy to be poured out in your life so that you can be freed and forgiven of your sins, that you don't have to stand at a distance from him anymore, that you can come close and have your sins taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, you can call out for mercy from God. But we see this now, the command. We see he cry, they cry out for mercy. And so what does Jesus, how does he answer them? He, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Notice here he doesn't say you're healed or go show yourself to the priest and you'll be healed. He just says, okay, go show yourself to the priest. And, you know, why did he say this? Well, this was what was required by the Levitical law. As we also see in Leviticus 13 and 14, if you had been healed of leprosy, if you've been made clean of leprosy, if somehow you got over the disease or you were cured of the disease, then it says you were, someone was to, to go and present themselves to the priest in order to be, to be pronounced clean. So you weren't considered cured of the disease until you presented yourself to the priest. And the priest said, all right, I see that you're clean. You're now clean. You now may go back and be a part of your regular life as you had it before. And so what Jesus was saying here is you're not clean, but go anyway and show yourself to the priest. They could have argued, but we're not clean. He, he, he didn't pronounce us clean. So what if we go and ask and we'll just be humiliated more than we are. If we go to the priest and we're not clean yet, then, then what? We, they could have started arguing or started you know, bickering with Jesus here. But, but what did they do? They, as we see in verse 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. Not they were cleansed and then they went. But as they went, they were cleansed. When they turned to obey, they were completely healed. Their obedience was evidence of their faith. And so can you imagine the joy that they all felt at that moment? They who were outcasts, who had no hope, who had no future, who had nothing to look forward to, now had received their lives back. They could go home to their friends and family. They could kiss their wives again. They could hold their children. They could play with their children. They were cleansed. Could you imagine the, the, the amount of, of emotion that had come over them as they were walking? The implication here is that their faith was demonstrated by their obedience, which led to their cure. All showed faith, and all were cured. All ten lepers were cured, but only one stopped to praise God and to thank him for his cure. So we get to the thankful one in verse 15. It says, And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, now get this, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He didn't just give a shoulder shrug and kind of say, thanks. Or he give a little tip of the hat and say, 
Appreciate it. What did he do? He came back with a loud voice. He says he turned with a loud voice, glorifying God. This was no meek, quiet praise to get uh, of God of fear. Somebody might be offended by his boisterous proclamation. He wanted the whole world to know what God had done for him. I think sometimes our praise of Jesus is a little too quiet. I think sometimes we don't realize and recognize how much God has really done for us and how much we have to be thankful for. And far too often, we come to praise the Lord and we just kind of say, thanks, appreciate it, thank you. And we're far too often not like this leper who was so overwhelmed by the mercy that had been bestowed upon him, so grieved and gracious that, that, that somebody would love him enough to heal him, to cure him of this disease that he couldn't just help but said, thank you, thank you, praise God, I can't help it, thank you, thank you, thank you. He didn't care what everyone else thought about him. Sometimes it just feels good to shout to God. Can we all just shout to God and say, thank you, Jesus. Can we do that this morning? I know it's a little awkward. Let's all do it together. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, say it as loud as you can. Come on, one more time. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good? Sometimes we got to just shout. Sometimes we got to just let it out. We don't have to be so civilized and so put together and prim and proper. Sometimes we got to just, I don't care what people think about me. I just, I got to praise my Lord. I got to thank him for what he's done for me. I'm overwhelmed. I'm humbled. I'm amazed at his mercy and his grace that he would love me a sinner like I am, that he would have thought of me and saved me and forgiven me and redeemed me from my life of sin, that he would save me. I can't just go, thanks. It just doesn't seem proper. It just doesn't seem like it fits. we got to have our praise line up with our, our worship of him, our, our thankfulness, our gratitude of him. We've got to be like this leopard that says, oh, my goodness, thank you, thank you, thank you, that we would cry it out in a loud voice. Doesn't that feel good? And as in verse 16, said he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This is no dignified thank you. He had already lost all dignity being a leper, cast out, being unclean. He had no dignity left. He wasn't concerned about dignity here. This was a profuse pouring out of his soul. He was overwhelmed with humility and gratitude. He was filled with adoration and love because this one was mindful of him, unworthy as he was. When was the last time you wept at the overwhelming grace that God has bestowed upon you? when have you ever fallen on your face at his feet because there was so much gratitude in your heart for what God has done for you? You're not an outcast anymore. You're not a wretched leper. You've been made clean. You've been given life and life to the full. And sadly, so often, we're just like, this bump? (laughs) When When is our humility and our and our overwhelmingness with our, the grace and mercy that's bestowed upon us, that we just can't help, but we just fall out on our face before Jesus and say, thank you. And we cry and we weep, and we're so overwhelmed by his love for us. But we continue on, and he adds at the end of verse 16, this little phrase. Now, he was a Samaritan. The text says he was a Samaritan. Jesus even referred to him in verse 19 as a foreigner. That meant that he was just a person belonging from a different socio-political group. In other words, he wasn't a Jew. So why is this important? Why does he point this out? 
See, remember the Samaritans, they had their own unique copy of the first five books of the Scripture, and they didn't believe the same things as they did. We don't really know for sure what the nationality of the other nine were, but we can assume that they were of Jewish descent because they knew the laws of of Moses. They knew that they had to be outside the camp. They knew they had to climb... to, uh, to stand at a distance from everyone and shout out unclean and clean. We knew that they knew the laws of the, of the word. And so we can assume that they were probably from a Jewish descent. They knew the Messiah. And they knew that, that who Jesus claimed to be, the Messiah of the Jews. And so for whatever reason, Jews and Samaritans don't normally live together. Um, but I guess when you're a leper, misery loves company. And they kind of hung out together. And so here was this Samaritan mixed in with all these others. And so Jesus uh, points out, man, here... Here's a leper. Here's a, a Samaritan leper at that. And he's the one that's come back to thank me. Where's, where's the Jewish ones? Where are the other nine? The ones who, who know of who I am, who know that I am one of theirs. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. This kind of reminds me again of the account of, of Luke 7 where there was a woman who was aware of her many sins and was forgiven by Christ. And so she loved him so much that she began washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair and anointing them with very expensive perfume. And Jesus says in, in Luke seven forty seven that she loves much because she has been forgiven much. Those who are only forgiven a little only love a little. So ultimately what Christ is saying here is all, there's not any of us who have been loved just a little from God if we want to be honest. It's when we realize how much he has loved us. When we are aware of our depravity and, and the depth of our sin, the depth of our, of our fallenness that, that we can cry out to Jesus God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for healing me. That we realize how much we have forgiven. And as we realize that the depth of our sin and the depth of his mercy and grace, man, we just weep and we, we clean his, 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 his feet with our tears like, like the Samaritan woman. Um, but then we see the lesson here. Uh, lesson in, in verse 17 and, and 18. It says, so Jesus answered, we're not the ten cleansed, but where are the nine? We're not any found who return to give glory to God except this foreigner. For all knowing as he was, why is he asking this question? He knows where the nine are. What, what is he asking this question, and who is he asking it to? Well, I, I believe this was for the benefit not only of the, the Samaritan leper, but the disciples who were following with him so that they would catch on of what he's implying here, of the gratitude of the heart that we got to have, the importance of gratitude. And so, so do you want to know why the other nine didn't return? You know why they didn't return? Because... They were doing what Jesus asked them to do. He said, go show yourself to the priests. And so they were doing what Jesus asked them to do. He, they went to the priests, and they, they went along the way. And I can imagine, you know, even the conversation going, well, that stupid Samaritan, doesn't he know God's law? Doesn't he realize that we're supposed to go show ourselves to the priests to be cleansed? I'm sure these Jewish lepers knew what they were supposed to do. If we're clean, and now we're clean, we, well, we've got to show ourselves to the priests. They were doing what they ought to be doing. They were, they were obeying even what Jesus asked them to obey. Um, <clears throat> but the, uh, the Samaritan, overwhelmed with gratitude, could not keep himself from doing what his new life demanded that he do. Thank the one who had made him whole. It's in these moments of, of obedience that so we've got to realize that it's not just about the duty of doing what God wants us to do. It's about the delight in doing it. I've shared this example before. If I came home with a bouquet of flowers and brought them to my wife and I said, you know, here you go, honey, I wanted to get these, these flowers for you. And she said, well, why did you get these for me? And I said, it's because of my duty. It's what I'm supposed to do. I'm your husband. That's, that's what husbands do, right? 
That wouldn't go over really good. I'd, she'd probably throw them back in my face or say, I don't want them. You know, that, that just wouldn't happen very well. It's the same thing with Christ. He doesn't just want our dutiful obedience. Yes, he wants our obedience. But obedience flows out of a heart of gratitude. Obedience flows out of love and of, and of appreciation for him. If, when we love God, when we thank him, when we have gratitude in our hearts for him, the obedience will come. The obedience will happen. So many of us, we get so caught up in just doing the duty, just being, checking our, our eyes, dotting our T's. Or I was, I was at church today. Sure, I did what I was supposed to do. I sat through church. I came. I did my thing. I, I, I went to a Bible study. I went to, I don't, I'm not doing everything I'm supposed to do. I mean, I'm obedient, right? I'm surely, I'm pleasing God. And it's not just about dutiful obedience. It's about the heart that we have and why we want to obey, why we do the things we do. God wanted us and wanted these here to see the picture of, of what's happening. He doesn't just want dutiful obedience. He wants love and affection and gratitude and thankfulness and glory and praise for the immense amount of mercy that he shows his people. And so we, as his people, don't just need to follow blindly and just check a box and give our tithe and just do the duty of being a Christian. We've got to have the heart. It says, God, I, I do these things not because I'm supposed to, because I want to. How could I do anything else but because of what you have done for me? See, there's a big difference there. We're doing the same things, but there's a different motivation behind why we do what we do. Don't just be a dutiful obeyer. Be a, a delighting lover of God, someone who loves and is, is found just overwhelmed by the gratitude and grace and mercy of God that he pours out in our lives. And so in Luke 17, we see this, in 19, excuse me, uh, he says, arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And see, the Levitical demand of a leper was that they present themselves to the priest. Well, what did this leper do in coming back to the Lord and giving thanks and praise to him? He presented him not, himself not to the priest, but to the great high priest, as we see in Hebrews, that he was the priest. He was the one who was the one who could forgive. He was the one who could declare that you're well, that you were made right. He came back to the high priest, and the high priest said, go, your faith has made you well. And we've got to come back to our, our Savior, the one who has made us well, and to give our lives to him. You and I, we are the lepers, and Jesus has redeemed us, and he has healed us, and he has made us whole. We're no longer cast outs to live on our own. He has come to save us. So let's look at five key uh, passages, key, key things of cultivating an attitude of gratitude. I think we need to see through this passage, and I'm going to um, rush through these. Uh, the first one here, and by the way, you have a blank slate to write down whatever you will, or doodle however you want to, um, the things that God teaches you this morning. So number one, a grateful person remembers this is so key for us. This is so important for us to do. A grateful person constantly remembers all that they have to be thankful for. <clears throat> there's, no easy, there's no four easy steps to a, a thankful heart. There's no easy, um, easy way to just be a thankful person. It's, it takes time that we've got to begin to train our heart eyes to look for God's grace in all circumstances. This looking must be habitual. And as we remember, we must not let our hearts grow cold to the amazing grace that has been poured out on us. So easy, it's so easy for us to hear the words, God loves you, and it just kind of go in one ear and out the other and go, oh yeah, sure, I, I agree with that. 
but allowing that to go in one ear and, and, and warm our hearts, that we don't allow that to just be something rote or something just flippant that we just hear or we just know, but we've got to keep it fresh in our hearts, that it, that it warms our hearts again. Martin Luther once said, the greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded. A hungry man is more thankful for his morsel than a rich man for his overflowing table. A lonely woman in a nursing home will appreciate a visit more than a popular woman with a party thrown in her honor. A Russian will finally get his own copy of Scripture after 75 years of state-imposed atheism is more thankful for his little book than we are for all our Christian books and magazines and Bible translations that overflow our shelves. Now, Ralph Waldo Emerson observed this, that he said that if the constellations appeared only once in a thousand years, imagine what ex- an excitement, exciting event it would be. But because they're out every night, we barely give them a look. We've got to allow the things of God to not become rote and just, just happenstance and just uh, things that we say to one another. We've got to believe it. We've got to have it in our heart that it warms us, that it reminds us each and every day of how much God has lavishly poured out his love for us. Don't let that fall on deaf ears and hard hearts. Allow your heart to be warmed to that each and every day. <clears throat> We've got to stay humble in that. Number two, a grateful person overcomes temptation. Now let me illustrate that before I, before I explain it. When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, um, and Joseph didn't succumb to her advances, he explains, he says this in, in Genesis 39, 8 and 9, he says, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything he has in my charge. He is not greater than, in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness against God? See, Joseph received Potiphar's remarkable favor on him as a gift from God. Gratitude was occupying so much space in Joseph's heart that there was not enough room for him for the ingratitude of sexually sinning with Potiphar's wife. See, Joseph had so much gratitude in his heart that he couldn't even imagine or even contemplate the idea of thinking about stepping out and sinning against his Lord because there was so much gratitude in his heart. So when we have gratitude in our heart for all that God has done, when we fill our minds and our hearts with the things of God and we're just overwhelmed by his, his graciousness and, and the love that he pours out in us, we can't help but want to live for him. It just, it, we just, we, sin just isn't even an issue. If you're having a hard time understanding and fighting against the temptations in your life, if there's a sin that's plaguing your life, if there's something that is going on in your life that you're just having a hard time living for the Lord in, understand this, or there may be a gratitude problem in your life. Because so often we step out from God because of ingratitude. And ingratitude is just a form of covetousness because we're not grateful for the things we have. So we want something else. And so we want to go for something else that we can get for ourselves. And so we're just stepping out on the Lord. And the reason why we do that is we're not gracious in the first place. If we were thankful for the Lord and we had gratitude in our hearts, then how could we step out against the Lord? How could we sin against him because of all that he has done for us? Gratitude helps us overcome Temptation, a spirit of praise and thankfulness keeps us ever mindful of all that Jesus has done to heal us from the deadly disease. And third, a grateful person loves the giver more than the gift. A grateful person loves the giver more than the gift. See this, this Samaritan leper. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his, Jesus' feet, giving him thanks 
He didn't turn back to Jesus and go, whew, look at this body. Look, 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 look I'm, I'm healed. He didn't go, man, look at what I get to do. Not, man, I get to go home and, and look at my, talk to my family again. I get to hug my kids. He, did, he didn't think about all the stuff that he got and he received from the Lord. What did he do? He went, you've given me this gift and all I can do is say thanks and praise. He was more in love with the giver than he was with the gift. We've got to be so enthralled with who Jesus is and what he has done for us that we, the gifts and the blessings that come aren't a distraction for us, but are just more of an ammunition of something we have to praise him for. We can't get that, that mistake. Look at this in Romans 1.18 when, when Jesus is speaking about the ungodly. <clears throat> He said, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And he goes on to say this. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But in the futile of their thinking, in their foolish hearts, they were darkened. Claiming to to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See what the evil was here that they did? They exchanged the glory of the creator for the created. They got more enthralled with the things that were created than the one who created them. They turned their love for the things of this earth and the created things and forsook the one who was the creator. We can't get this mistake in our lives. He's not a genie in a bottle to give us the things that we really want. We don't just come to God in praise and prayer and asking him for all the things we want. God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. He's not a genie in a bottle. He is the reward. He is the treasure. He is the goal. When you look at your prayer life, how much of it is God give me? And how little of it or how much should it be? Of God, thank you. God, thank you. How often do we say those words? I mean, and even in just preparing for this sermon this week, man, God just humbled me over and over and over again of my ingratitude and just the ways that I don't thank him enough for all the blessings in my life. We have got to be grateful people who love the giver, who praise and glory, glorify the giver. Thank him for the gifts. The, bless, the gifts are a blessing. The things he does for us, the ways he pours out for us are a blessing. But don't let those be your focus. Turn your eyes to Jesus and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Number four, a grateful person worships. We see this through the Samaritan leper. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. <clears throat> When we do not come to God and worship and praise in light of all he has done for us, we either, A, do not realize the immense amount of grace and mercy he has already shown us, or we don't comprehend the depth of our depravity. See, it's a sad thing at times. Um, I'll read this first. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. it says, that let him, By him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of lips that giving thanks unto his name. We don't come to church to praise the Lord. We come praising to the church. We don't let our praise commence here. We continue our praise here. And we are to praise the Lord continually. And so many times, the reason why so many of us, we don't praise the Lord like we ought to, and we don't praise him the way we should, and we don't even worship him the way we ought to when we come to church, is we're not practicing privately the praise that we ought to be praising him with. We need to worship him on a daily basis. We need to thank him. 
Psalm 34 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. He is pr- his praise shall be continually in my mouth. Nobody ought to have to beg us to sing. Man, it's, it, it, it breaks my heart at times for us to be singing the praise and glory of the Lord up here on the stage and, and just to see calloused hearts and just kind of... Man, if we realize the immense amount of grace that God has done and how unworthy you and I are. Why would anyone have to beg us to sing? Why would anyone have to beg us to worship? It ought to just come forth. We ought to be like the leper. Just, we can't help but just fall out at his feet and say, thank you, God, thank you. But somehow I think sometimes we think we deserve it or we have earned it or you know, God loves us more than he loves others or we've, we somehow have merited this grace, but it's not anything we've done he gave it freely. And so we ought to worship him freely. And number five, a grateful person lives a grateful life. The true mark of a grateful heart is that it's followed up by a thankful life. Psalm 107, 21 and 22 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Now, we always say that talk is cheap, and we thank the Lord, and we say, Lord, we're so thankful. Lord, we're so grateful for all we're done, all you've done. Well, we know what we need to do. We need to turn our thanksgiving into thanksgiving, and that's how we really see the thankfulness that's in our heart is the way we live our lives. We live our lives in a way that shows the gratitude and gratefulness that we have for our Lord and Savior for what he has done for us. Ephesians 4, it says this, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I ask you this question this morning, does your life match the worth and gratitude towards which you, which God has done for you? When you look at all that God has done for you and the life that you live for him, do those equal one another? Is, is the life you live and the way that you live, the way that you spend the money, your money, the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your thoughts, the way that you live your life, do you live it in a way to please yourself or do you live it in a way that says, God, I just want everything I do to please you. God, I want my life to match, to live in a life worthy of the manner to which God has called us. So if God's called us and God's been gracious to you, do you live that way that resembles the love and the affection that you have and that you hold for your God. Now, if we're thankful, it really ought to show in our lives. Gratitude is shown in the way we live. <clears throat> if someone was to ask you, why do you go to church or why do you have the convictions that you do or why do you live the way you live or why don't you, why don't you cuss or why don't you do these things or why, you know, many times you, as we come into contact with people that don't, think the way we do or don't have the same beliefs or convictions that we do. They often come up with those questions or why, why don't you? Why, why don't you? Why do you? Why do you go to church? There's really only one good answer for that. Because we could say, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do or oh, I'm a Christian or oh, that's what we, uh, you know, that's what I like to do. That's how I was brought up or that's how my parents raised me. But really all those fall short. They sell God short for all he's really done and they really don't tell the picture there's really only one good answer. That's gratitude. They say, you know what? Why I go to church is I have a God that gave his life for me. And I didn't deserve it. And man, I'm so, 
unworthy of it. And so I just want to thank him for it. And so I go every Sunday to join up with my friends because I'm so grateful for all that he's done for me. Gratitude really is the only good answer of why we do everything we do. That's why we live the Christian life. That's why we do what we do. That's why we forsake some sins that all the, the world partakes in. That's why, I mean, I have these conversations with my son all the time. And he's like, well, Dad, all my friends, they do these things. Or they see these movies. Or they listen to this stuff. Or they, and I'm like, son, we're, we're not like the rest of the world. Why? Because we have a, a different mission to live for. We have a God who's done something more for us that, that, that we want to live in a way that glorifies him, that praises him. So many times we, we, we have conversations with the Lord like this. Um, Heavenly Father, please let me know your will. I really need to know what you want me to do about such and such. And God responds through 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, this is my will for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for this reminder. I really do need to be more thankful. But, but getting back to my request, you know, I was really uh, just wanting to know, was, I wasn't sure what you wanted me to do about. Then he stops us. I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know, I know. I, that's important. I can really see where I've neglected that, you know, you know, but thankfulness is kind of sort of a constant need, isn't it? I mean, I, I really, I really need to, ever. I mean, everyone needs to be more thankful, right? I mean, um, seriously, though, uh, this thing is urgent, and I really just need some clarity on it. Could you, could you really just help me out? I need your direction. What do you want me to do? And I'm being serious and specific. I want you to give thanks in all circumstances, like right now, in this particular instance. <sighs> Not really what I wanted here. But until you learn to give thanks in all circumstances, much of my will for you, you will not understand. I'm guiding and providing for you in ways that you cannot see right now because of your ingratitude. But be faithful to obey my revealed will for you, and I will be faithful to guide you and provide for you according to your needs. And we can say with the, the, uh, the poet, O thou whose bounty fills my cup with every blessing meet, I give thee thanks for every drop, the bitter and the sweet. I praise thee for the desert road and for the riverside, for all thy goodness hath bestowed and all thy grace denied. I thank thee for both smile and frown and for the gain and loss. I praise thee for the future crown and for the present cross. I thank thee for both wings of love which stirred my worldly nest and for the stormy clouds which drove me trembling to thy breast. I bless thee for the glad increase and for the waning joy and for this strange this settled peace which nothing can destroy. Are you a grateful person this morning? God wants us to be grateful for all that he has had, all that he has done. Many of us maybe have not been as grateful as we need to be, and maybe the thing that we need to do this morning is just to come before the Lord and say, God, thank you. Thank you. Maybe there just needs to be shouting. Can, there, can that just be Okay. Maybe some of us need to shout and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Get a little undignified and just say, God, it, I don't care what other people think about me. I just need to express what you've done for me. Maybe some of us need to praise the Lord. Maybe we need to drop the knee, fall on our face before him, 
and weep and just thank him for all the blessings, all the things that he's done. I just encourage you to think of everything you have to be thankful for in your life and praise him for those things. Praise him for those things. Somebody in here might need to call out to God as master and to call out for mercy. Maybe you're hearing this message today and you've never really become a believer in Jesus. You never understood what he really has done for you. And maybe today you're like, I, I, I don't want to be a leper anymore, a spiritual leper. I, I want to be made clean. And that only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ as, as we call upon his Lord, him as Lord and Savior and ask him to forgive us of our sins and have mercy on us. And he's faithful to do that. He's faithful to forgive us. And I'll be stand, standing down here to receive anyone who wants to, to know more about a relationship with Christ. But my encouragement to you this morning is to respond as God is calling you to. I mean, is there gratitude in your heart? Is there thankfulness in your heart? And is that coming out in expression? God wants us to praise him, to thank him, to glorify him for all that he has done for us, the good and the bad, to be thankful in all circumstances. So I'm going to pray and we're going to have a time of invitation and you respond as the Lord wants you to and I encourage you just to cry out to the Lord and to pray and to praise and let's pray. The band's going to come and we're going to have a time of invitation. God, we thank you.